I'm not a fax machine. I'm not here to like fax the Christian message to Hollywood. You know what I mean? If I was interested in messaging, that's what I should do is make fax machines and fax people the gospel. We're, at the end of the day, we're making art and cinema here and there's room for interpretation of the filmmakers. There's room for interpretation for the, the viewer. And that's beautiful and kind of messy and wild and weird all at the same time. This is the Act One Podcast. I'm your host, James Duke. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate us and leave us a good review. My guest today is producer Justin Bell. Justin produces film, television, and pretty much everything in between. Some of the films he has produced include Full of Grace and Elsa and Fred with Shirley MacLaine and Christopher Plummer. He is also the former Director of Development and Production for Academy Award-winning producer Edward Saxon. In addition to being a producer, Justin also holds an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary and specializes in producing narrative media content for nonprofit organizations such as Compassion International, World Vision, and The Barna Group. Justin is a great guy, and we get into a lot of topics I think you will find interesting today. Here now is my conversation with Justin Bell. Hey, Justin, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. What up, Act One community? What up, what world? <laughs> now, Justin, you, um, I think I first got connected with you when you were running the Act One producing program, right? Did you, did you help create the Act One producing program? Yeah, so I didn't really create it. Um, what happened was Act One started as a writing program, and I don't even remember exactly what year it was. Maybe in the early 2000s, 03, 04, Act One started the executive program, which was slightly broader than producing. Yeah, but, I think that was 2003, at least. I yeah. Believe so. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was actually a student at Fuller Seminary at the time, and. I'm not an alum of Act One. I didn't go to the writing program, exec program, or the produce, producing program, but I like to say I was Act One adjacent for several years That's right. uh, in that <laughs> I worked at the Real Spirituality Film Institute with Rob Johnston, Craig Detweiler, Barry Taylor, people like that, and we used to put on kind of co-sponsored events with uh, Barbara Nicolosi and Spencer uh, over the DGA through something called the City of Angels Film Festival. So I was always a fan of Act One and always intended to, in some capacity, go through Act One, but at the time it was a writing program. And I was like, I'm not really a writer. And um, so I decided, <laughs> unfortunately, to do grad school twice. I went to Fuller Seminary and I decided that wasn't enough student loans. So after that, I went um, to the Peter Stark Producing Program at USC. It was sort of during that time that Act One had built up this executive program and uh, for several years, I worked with this producer, Edward Saxon, Academy Award winner, um, and continued just to be a friend of Act One. And in those years, it transitioned to the producing and entertainment executive program. Uh, Vicki Peterson was running a lot of that at the time. But what happened was uh, I got laid off by Ed Saxon in, in 2010 after doing a few projects with him. He just ran out of projects to do. Uh, and then Vicki Peterson got pregnant. And I was on the job search and my friend uh, Terrence Barry said, hey, well, why don't you come over here and help kind of give more shape to the producing program until you find your next gig? 
And uh, four years later, I was still helping out uh, Act One part-time on, on staff. So it's kind of weird. People are like, oh, you're an alum of Act One. And, uh, technically, I'm not, but I kind of consider myself a, like a super senior, like one of those guys yeah. who's just always around. And I, I went through it four times as uh, the director of the producing program, uh, which for me was really cool and really fun. And I didn't have to pay. And, uh, <laughs> and I learned something every year. Like You're actually, you, everyone should go through the Act One program four times because <laughs> the business evolves, it changes, producing's, I mean, even right now, all the rules of production are changing, the, the landscape for distribution is changing. So the minute you think you know everything about producing is the moment you're going to fail because That's right. uh, it's always evolving and growing in the same way maybe uh, when people are like, well, you know, I've read the Bible, so dot, 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 I know this or that, but Every That's time right. you read scripture, you're in a different context. You're in a different place. You get something different out of it. And I think the entertainment business has that kind of dynamic element to it yep. in the same way that we, you know, bring ourselves to, to scripture and to faith. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's so, it's so interesting that you say it. By the way, I thought when you said that, I thought uh, we'll, refer, we'll, we'll forever refer to you now as the Matthew McConaughey of Act One from Daisy. Yeah, I'm like the Cato Kalin. <laughs> of the Act One program, I'll even That's do hilarious. your landscaping. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, no, but it's true because I, I just feel like sometimes there's this, and, and let's uh, and let's talk about this. Um, there is this weird misperception. There seems to be a weird misperception or lack of perception altogether of what it is to be a producer, um, <clears throat> and and. And the last thing a producer is, is like you said, someone who comes in who knows all the answers, who has all the answers, who, who's got it all figured out. If anything, what I've noticed is some of the best producers I know, some of the most successful producers I know, are the ones that they, it's not that they have the answers, it's that they are willing to grind it out to find out what needs to get done. And they just are willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. And it has more to do with work ethic sometimes mm -hmm. than it does with any kind of knowledge base it's just like you don't really have to know much of uh, uh, uh of um you know I, people get obsessed about oh I, I know i gotta know all the union rules i gotta know all the guild rules right. and i'm like yes you 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 can know those things but if you work really hard maybe you can hire some people who know those things <laughs> um talk a little bit about what it is you do as a producer, because I know we all get this, you know, this is the million dollar question we all get asked. What does a producer do? So in your context, what do you do, Justin? Yeah. Um, well, I completely agree with you. I think if you had to boil down, like, what are the skills of a producer? What makes a great producer? It is problem solving skills. Yep. And that's creative, creatively speaking, and also logistically production speaking. Uh, relationally speaking, all, it can be in all different kinds of ways, uh, and communication skills, creative communication, <laughs> functional communication. But if you don't have those two things, I, I, don't, I don't know how far you'll get as a producer. And that doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert or anything like that, uh, or they have to be a bulldog or confrontational. It's, it's none of that. But I find producers are, are solution-oriented um, it, like in giving notes, if you're going to give notes on a script, there are a lot of producers who will tell you what's wrong with this script. And that's easy. It's easy to point out what you don't like. It's easy to be a critic. Uh, what separates 
good producers from great producers on a development level, script development level, is they have ideas for how to make it better, like specific ideas, specific solutions that are grounded in where the story's going or what the story can be. You know, a lot of people have ideas, but they're, they're also just completely far afield <laughs> from what the story's about. So I think it applies like in at every phase of producing development, pre-production, production, post, distribution to have that kind of savvy. Uh, at the Stark program, Larry, Larry Terman, who, uh, you know, uh, he, he produced the graduate Academy Award winning producer. He, he says that uh, the number one element a producer needs is savvy, is just to be savvy. That's his word. Um, I like to say problem solving. But um, in terms of what I do, it's a blend of things. And some of that is a function of, I think, my personality, but also my um, fear of failure and uh, survival skills, maybe, <laughs> in this business. But um, about half my time is film and television. And the other half is in branded entertainment and in nonprofit media. Uh, I started in the nonprofit world. Uh, I'm a preacher's kid. My parents uh, were in Christian TV and radio and publishing as a kid. So a lot of my early opportunities as a filmmaker were like making content for Bono's One Campaign or World Vision, Compassion, those kinds of uh, Christian organizations. And at the time, I was a little bit more of a predator. Um, I don't know if everyone uses that word, but a producer, you know, director, editor, uh, someone who just did it all. It was a one-stop shop. Like, sure, I'll go out. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll go to, you know, uh, South Africa and on a motorcycle and shoot your documentary and come back and edit it. And, and that's really fun. Like, that's how I started, you know. Yeah. And for a while, I thought I'd maybe be a director or even an actor or a writer. Um, and what I learned over time was that it was really my project management skills and my problem-solving skills that, that were elevating. There was always somebody who could shoot something a little bit better than me or edit something a little bit better than me or had a little bit better ideas than I did. But in terms of like pulling it all together, getting a project up and running and seeing it through, that seemed exciting to me and something I was uniquely built for. Uh, you were going to ask a question, but... No, no, I was going to say... Um... When you say predator, you're not a, you're, you, you mean the, the, from the movie predator. <laughs> no, not predatorial. No, nothing like that. I mean, like, that's a hyphenate uh, kind of hybrid <laughs> jargon. Oh, that's hilarious. Somebody who does a little bit of everything. And I still sometimes will get a call for something like that. And I'm like, I really wish I could do that. I just, I'm not good at that anymore. You know, or if I, I don't even know how to touch Adobe Premiere. Like, Right. As a producer now, like all I touch is a phone and a computer and, yep. and Zoom calls. You know. Yep. I uh, used to be a. I was a. I. I taught. I was. A, I'm a self-taught editor. Twenty years ago, <laughs> like if yeah. you were to put me in front of a uh, Final Cut Pro system today, I, I it would take me probably a month to uh, figure it out again. Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I kind of I separate producing into two categories. Um, I think the core definition is. A producer is someone who causes a film or a show to get made. So basically, if you were to like pluck that producer out of the equation, there would be no project, like period. Now, how that goes, how that happens is different in every project and every producer brings different strengths to causing uh, this thing into reality. So some producers are really great at financing. That's This is something that I've sort of struggled with. Like, well, I'm not like a... MBA, Harvard, Wall Street guy. Like, I'm not even all that interested in that stuff. 
Um, <laughs> exactly. But there is a piece of producing, like if you can show how a movie makes sense from a business perspective or financially, that can get people excited and putting money into your project. I also see projects that have money but go nowhere because then it can't get packaged with talent, the script's no good. So that's not the only piece, but there are producers who have that kind of economic strength they bring to everything. Um, that's something I've had to learn over time. It wasn't natural to me. I feel like I'm good at it, but I'll never be great at it. Um, then there are producers who are really great at overseeing production, right? Their budgets are solid. Their schedules are solid. Like the plan on the ground is great. They know how to maximize the incentives. Like they kind of have a packaging and management skill. They're not, they don't know how to raise the money, but they know how to spend the money really well. And, and they're known yes. for delivering a great product. That's also something that I didn't start knowing, but it's something I've grown into and I find I've learned over time, I'm actually pretty good at that and I enjoy that. And that's sort of that pre-production, that kind of soft late development into pre-production phase of like, how are we gonna get this over the top? Okay, now we got money, how are we gonna make this? I find that really fun because if you're just developing all day or just raising money, you feel like you're spinning your wheels. But the moment you think you might have something real, like even if it's not 100%, it's just getting close. And now we're going to build a plan and start like, this is a moving train, or at least we're going to tell people this is a moving train. I, I love that. I love that phase. But I've had to learn from other people how the unions work, how payroll works, um, how all that works. And there's a certain phase of it, a certain like depth of it that I'm also not interested in. Because exactly. I've realized right. I'm interested in kind of getting this thing off the ground and then right. delivering at the end. Yep. But I don't really want to know how payroll works or right. workers comp works. So I surround myself with people who know that stuff uh, way better than me. Um, and then there are producers who are great with material. They're avid readers. They read every book, you know, upcoming book. They read a ton of articles. They just know the great young screenwriters out there. And these tend to be people who start in creative development. They work for another producer or another production company, or they might even have, the, they might be a writer as well, where they have a co-writing partner. Um, so they may not be necessarily a, a business person or like a, someone who loves being on set all day, but they know great material and they know how to develop that with writers. Um, so my unfortunate, position is I don't think I'm like any one of those things I'm just a little bit of a jack of all trades who sort of came up in the development area and then I've learned more about production so I would say development and production are my strengths and then I have to bring in kind of that financing help or people on the back end for marketing and distribution and beautiful thing about producing is people produce often in teams you know, there's usually only one director, sometimes two directors, right? And then you're just working with how that director works and trying to find other people, the DP to balance them out or the AD to balance out that director's tendencies. In producing, there's two, three, five producers on a project. And hopefully everyone comes at it from a different area of strength. And uh, I think you'll find, it takes time to figure out what kind of producer you are or what producer you want to become and you can grow some, but I think ultimately we all drift towards what our natural strengths will be at the end. What did you, what, what made you want to become a producer? What was it that, uh, that what's what, what, what flipped the switch for you? 
I think like the early seeds of it was um, I grew up in a fairly artistic family. Uh, my mom was uh, a musician. My grandfather was a music professor. Um, there was a lot of, you know, going to museums, going to movies. We'd go and see like three movies on a Sunday. You know, every Christmas, we'd, I think there was one year we saw four movies one day and that included King Kong was like a three nice. and a half hour film. Nice. Awesome. So there's a certain kind of cinephile element in my family. Um, and I grew up in a fairly conservative community of Wheaton, Illinois, which is the shining city on a hill. It's a little bit like Grand Rapids, Michigan or Colorado Springs. There's a lot of evangelical organizations and publishing and it's a place I really appreciate. Um, but I think my immediate family also loved the arts. And um, I remember seeing movies like, you know, uh, The Last Temptation, The Mission, and my parents would make a point of having like family discussion afterwards to really unpack all that stuff. So I, I don't think I really knew I wanted to be a producer at the time. Most people don't even know what a producer is, even in if they're in the business, sometimes they don't even know what it is. So but in terms of like that I wanted to be an artist, I think it started there. And then in my college years, I think some of it was bred out of frustration because I was acting a little at the time. I was directing a little at the time. I was that kind of predator performer as a whole. And then I, I remembered I got cut. I'd never been cut from anything as an actor and I got cut from the college acting troupe. And they're like, hey, you can like operate the lights if you want and you could stick, stick around. You could be like the, you could be like the uh, equipment manager kind of a thing. <laughs> and, and, I, and it cut me to my core so bad. Like this was the moment I realized I should not be an actor because I took it so personally that I was like, I'm gonna show these guys, I'm gonna create my own opportunities. So it kind of started from a very negative reactionary sinful place I don't know you could say um, but by then I kind of knew I wanted to be some kind of artist I just didn't really know what that meant so it became a process of elimination at some point like oh acting boy that's that's hard like I don't know if I could take that um, and what happened is I had a, a college classmate I went to Wheaton College which is not known for its cinema or filmmaking or anything I was an English major but I had a friend who was going to USC's summer program to go make an eight millimeter film, 16, uh, sorry, 16 millimeter film at eight minutes long, something like that. And uh, he's like, why don't you join me in the class? And this is the late nineties, Jimmy. It was crazy. It was wild. People were still editing on flatbeds, shooting on real film. Yes. Yes. They were debating. I, rem I remember all of that. Yes. They were debating whether people should shoot digitally at all and what that would mean. Um, so I did, I did a whole summer at USC summer school undergrad where I made a uh, short film, black and white film. And I loved it, I had a great time, but it was the first time I heard about the Peter Stark producing program and what a producer was. And I was like, well, wait a second, that sounds like me. Like that sounds a little bit more like me than what I'm doing here. So that was, that was really the first time I was like, I think I want to be a producer. I was, I was 21 years old, living in the Midwest. And I was like, I want to be a Hollywood producer. And from there it became about how am I going to go about that? Being who I am, 
with what I care about, the kind of stories I want to tell. Um, I had no connections. Uh, I knew a lot of church people. I didn't know any entertainment people inside of the classmates at USC. So that kind of kicked in to high gear of how I was, how I was going to figure that out. That's really interesting. I, I, I think um, a lot of people are, are similar in that they don't, they don't know what they want to do. They just know they want to do something connected to film. And oftentimes proximity helps you start to figure out, you know, what you want to do, what you can do, what you're capable of doing. And, and that's why I always encourage, encourage uh, young filmmakers to just, you know, try your hand at something, right? You know, like, you know, try and, you know, if your friend's making a short film, go do a art department for them, go do, um, you know, go work in the, um, you know, go do costuming for them, go, you know, be a PA, do, do whatever, try acting. Do, and then you start to figure out what it is that you're interested in, what it is you're capable of doing and um, what you think you can actually start to, and then also some people, <laughs> they, they realize in that process, oh, I, I don't want to do any of this. <laughs> you know? And that's fine. Yeah. Like at least you try, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm the king of mixed metaphors. I always like throw out these mixed metaphors and realize later I just said it wrong. But, you know, I think like a ship that's already sailing in the water is easier to steer, steer than one that's in the harbor. And I remember specifically, yeah. I was really torn between, do I go to film school or do I go to seminary? Because I I've always been interested in ministry and the church and how worship is done in the church as it relates to arts. There's, I worked at uh, Willow Creek as a creative director. There's a big mega, mega church in Chicago for a couple of years. I never wanted to give that away. That was some of my struggle. I was like, I don't really, I see kind of those Hollywood stories and like, it kind of feels like me, but how do I bring my passions to that? How do I bring my faith to that? I didn't really, I didn't have a model until I moved out here, you know? Um, so I actually chose the way I really got out to Los Angeles the first time is by going to Fuller Theological Seminary. And from the outside, that seems like a misstep. Like, it seems like, why would you do that? Like, why would you, you want to be a producer? I knew I wanted to be a producer at the time. Right. Um, but I had attended the City of Angels Film Festival and met, you know, half a dozen uh, Fuller filmmakers, people like... Um, you know, Craig Detweiler, this writer, Stu Hazeldean, who wrote The Shack. He was a friend of uh, Fuller. Scott Derrickson was in and around the program at the time. Ralph Winter. I mean, all kinds of great people. Um, and I kind of came out because of the community. I was like, I, th I thought I was going to be the only Christian out here. I really did. Like, how egocentric was that? I thought <laughs> I, I thought it would I thought it would um, I thought I'd be able to get all the Christian money. They'd be like, I'm going to be the one Christian who's producing out there. All the rich Christians would be giving me money. That was really my mentality, which I, here I am 15 years later. And then that still hasn't happened. I mean, so you're still, you're still looking for that Christian money. money, aren't you? Other people have handed me money. But uh, so I was, in some ways, I was kind of disappointed that I wasn't the first because I wanted to be a trailblazer like so bad. But then very quickly, I realized this was a huge blessing that there was already hundreds of uh, Christians in town who wanted to do mainstream material. Like I've, I've never really been interested in quote unquote Christian movies. I wanted to just be who I was explicitly and explore great artistic projects that way. Um, and that, and they, people at Fuller seemed to get that. I went to some other places where they didn't seem to get it. 
but Fuller was already doing it and already had people who were doing it. And I was like, I don't really know what this means, but I'm going to start here because it just makes sense. Makes sense for me. And that's also part of what got me into the Peter Stark producing program because I mean, their acceptance ratio is like 17 to one. It's like twice as hard as Harvard undergrad. I've never had great grades. I'm not like a big test guy. But when I interviewed there, they're like, what have you been doing? Like, you've been working at this film institute that consults studios when they have movies they want to market to churches? Like, we never even heard of that. And you're not handing us a tract or anything. You're like, you know something about filmmakers. I just, I don't know. I, just, I think it was just different enough for them. And I had researched the program and had known about it for five years that they gave me, that they gave me a shot. But ever, that was my uh, just put the ship into the water and start sailing because it got me out here and it's got me connected. And it, I started to understand what this environment was and it bought me a couple of years to kind of make some moves and stuff. And how, how long have you, how long have you been um, uh, working out here? Well, I spent my first five years out here working part-time and in full-time grad school. Um, so if you don't count that, and all that was, uh, all that kind of work was sort of predator editing stuff for Christian ministries, uh, consulting with the studios on, on faith material. A lot of it was entertainment related, but it wasn't producing mainstream movies and TV. So um, that piece didn't really kick in until I went to the USC Stark program uh, because they give you a mentor and they put you in a paid internship. Um, and the second year of the program only meets at night so you can work up the full time. So I really kind of consider that my start in Hollywood. And I, I was about 27 at the time. I'm, I'm 41 now. And I got, I have a lot of stories about those early days, like post seminary and trying to get started uh, in the Hollywood producing space and what people thought of me, you know, at least my own self-perception and how I navigated that. Like, are you a priest or something? What are you trying to do? You know? <laughs> are you a rabbi? What are you? Uh, I used to, yeah. my, my all time, one of my all time favorite conversations I had with someone when I first got started out here, when I was working at Warner brothers was, it was, um, um, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but it was uh, during Y2K right before Y2K. And, and my friend kept asking me, so what's going to happen? And, and I was like, what do you mean? How, how do I know? And he goes, well, well, you're a Christian. Like, isn't it like the world, don't you think Jesus is going to blow the world up or something? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't I you said, a dispensationalist? Yeah, Come on. I said, no, no, I, I don't think Jesus is going to blow the world up in the year 2000. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty fun. You, you, um, uh, so you're married, have a, have, have a family. There, this town, as you and I both know, um, it can wreak havoc on families, on marriages, on relationships. How have you and your wife, how, how have you guys navigated those tricky waters? Um, uh, do, you, do you lay down ground rules in terms of how long you're gone for certain shoots? Or I'm just curious, I'm sure people wanna hear, people who are interested in coming out here, there's a real cost. Like I, I try to be very clear with people who are you know, in the Act One program, we talk about this a lot, is there's a real cost to working in this business when it comes to families and relationships. And if you're not careful, 
it can cost you more than you want to pay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, I think I'm fortunate in that my wife, she's from Los Angeles. She grew up in this world and she's not in entertainment. She's an attorney, completely unrelated. But, you know, I kind of grew up in the Midwest is Hollywood was sort of this otherness and this they had this mystique about it. And I think like in my mind, I will always feel like an outsider, even if I'm not, it's just kind of, it's a mentality I've tried to shake, but uh, in Hollywood to me is much more personalized now because it's actual people that I've worked with, not just a sign. But for her, like there is that mystique isn't really there at all because she grew up with people who's, parents were in the business and all that. So there's a little less, it's not on a pedestal in a way. And I think that helps. Um, and then we met when I was already doing this. So there was a little bit of uh, like, uh, uh, it is what it is, <laughs> like take it or leave it. And also she has her own career and her own life and, and community. And some of that, you know, for us has been about kind of uh, fusing that all to, together, you know, versus there's some people, couples who are like, they're co-writers, you know, uh, they produce together. And I've actually kind of uh, admired that a lot and sort of envisioned that a little bit, like how cool would that be if they're both artists? But then you realize for couples like that, there's like real high highs and there, there's real low lows because either because they're both succeeding or they're both not succeeding or one's doing great while the other's not. And so I think there's something like if the family, if you're both in the entertainment space, it has different types of challenges, not wrong or better, just different. And I think I came in thinking I would have those types of challenges. Um, and the way my, mar my marriage is, is, it's just different. It's just a little bit different than that. So uh, one of the things I love about my wife, she does give me a decent amount of freedom uh, to, you know, I spent a month in India last summer and uh, yeah, I've had, I spent six months in New Orleans on a movie with Shirley MacLaine after we've been married, you know, um, I think it's changed a little bit since we've had kids. I, I've become a little more selective, like making the half million dollar movie out of town or like the low budget feature that's I've, I've started to pass on those. I'm trying to like exec produce a little bit more where I can structure a project or advise or do a piece without necessarily having to be the muscle on the ground all the time. Uh, I, I think it's also helped the branded entertainment world has helped me some because those shoots are also very short. They're two, three, four days. Money's never the problem with those. They always have money, but they want to do things like fast. Um, so those tend to be over before you know it. And that's, that's half my time. So that's, the, I think the diversification of the types of projects I've done and the, uh, type of skills I bring to it have, a, have afforded me a little bit of not having to be on set all the time. I, I, what I, who I really feel for like the, the DPs or the gaffers, or there are certain roles in this business that require you to be on set. You, like if you're not on set, you're not getting paid and you're there 12, 14 hours a day. I think those are especially challenging and creative producing. There's some flexibility because you'll, you'll go months at a time where you're just developing and you're in an office and you're itching to get back to set. Um, 
But each project, we, my wife and I, we have to talk about whether it's worth it. Uh, it's the equation of, is it exciting? Am I excited to do it? Is it uh, something that will help you know, my career? And is it something positive for my family? And is it going to, you know, um, with two kids and a working wife? We don't have a lot of family nearby either. It's not like we can just drop the kids over at mom's house. You know? The best part about sometimes having a spouse who isn't in the business is that you have that, you know, that voice, that, that common sense voice that isn't affected by other stuff. They're just looking at it from their perspective. And, yeah. Um, and sometimes when you, when you don't have a spouse in the business, there's a little more explaining, like why you're going to that screening or why, like, you know, well, you're not getting paid to do that. Why are you doing that? <laughs> you know, all very reasonable stuff. But when yeah. you have a spouse that's in the business, they seem to like, there's a little less of a, like, have to get it factor they get it um but i think you're all you're susceptible to the ups and downs of the business i mean we could talk about you know i think diversification of the types of projects especially in today's age with everything distribution changing a lot more digital types projects um i think some of that six month set life is changing and with you know the pandemic as well i think the way productions are shot is going to evolve what, how do you, or what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there, there's a lot of conversation. Probably by the time people hear this, there'll be some implementations. You know, we're recording this, you know, during the, the lockdown period during the pandemic. And so probably by the time people hear this, though, you know, there'll probably be some, some things that are being implemented. But mm -hmm. um, what, are your, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing? I'm sure you have some projects that you were probably prepping to be shot either now or, or at a future date that have been put on hold. What's the, um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. My sense is at minimum production costs are going to go up 20%. Um, and that's related to, I think there should be like a distinct department for department for safety and yep, health. I think I agree. Just like I a, like a coming. medic on set. Like yep. you kind of have that version for safety and stunts. Like yep. I think there'll be a new department, yep. which I think long-term is a good thing. I, you know, uh, I remember I did this Vix night NyQuil and DayQuil commercial one time and I had the flu the entire time while making the DayQuil <laughs> commercial. And I, and I kept it afterwards. It was like 20 bottles and I like blazed through those in like three months or something. So anyway, my point is like, I usually get sick after being on set for a long time and it's a combination of being around people and a combination of uh just working really hard and then your body your the adrenaline wears off and your body's like okay it's time for you to get sick now um so i don't, I don't think that's a bad thing but certainly uh it, it, there's going to be some cost implications and then we'll have to shoot slower for the foreseeable future because not every department can be in the same space at the same time and then some of those big, bigger sequences with a lot of background, real background, those will have to go away or be shot differently for the foreseeable future. But yeah, I don't, I definitely don't. I mean, if I had all the answers, you know, somebody would be paying me to come up with a plan. But right, which, I, where, right now, it's, I've been kind of in this weird space because I, I have this India Procter & Gamble project that's 284 videos that I shot last year. It's eight feature films worth of commercial content. I'm still editing those. And then I have a couple of projects that are just um, 
like interviews with animation and motion graphics. And those can continue because I can shoot those remotely from people's homes. Yeah. And then I have another project where we're shipping toys to kids' homes and they're like showing us how the toys work with their parents shooting on their iPhone. So strangely, there's still some production going on. And I, for me, I feel like for the next six months, I'm only going to have these sort of like lower key type projects. And that's where I'm glad that I'm actually in branded entertainment, that I'm doing projects for Christian organizations, because many of those aren't 50, 100, 200 people on set. The, the long-term shifts are going to be really good. Um, the short-term effects of these shifts could be painful for a while for a lot of people. And yeah. that's, the, that's the part that I feel like as, as, uh, as people of faith, we, we have to kind of shift a little bit. I, I was talking to someone else about this. I, we, we have to shift a little bit our mindset of we're, we're suffering too. And we can't wait for the suffering to stop in order for us to be a blessing and benefit to other people who are also suffering. Like, I think what God is trying to remind many of us, certainly me, is that it's in the midst of the suffering. Who, what are you going to do? Are you going mm -hmm. to sit and wallow in your pain and your suffering and your despair? Or are you actually going to accept the fact that real bad things do happen and they're also happening to other people at the same time. And can you stop thinking about yourself long enough to go over here and actually be a blessing and benefit to other people? This to me is the real work of the church, right? This, mm -hmm. The real work of the church, the real work of Christians in this business right now, uh, what it means to be a person of faith in this business right now is how do we help take care of those who are suffering, even when we ourselves are not yeah. doing well, even when, when we're not sure where our paycheck is coming from or, uh, or, or you know, what have you. And I, and I think that if uh, we need to remind ourselves almost daily of our role in this business, our role is different. We're, we're, we're supposed to be different. Mm -hmm. Preach it, man. I love it. I forget, Jimmy, what a great preacher you are. I like <laughs> just hearing you go for it sometimes. I completely agree with you. Like, uh, if you were going to ask me the question of like, what does it mean to be a Christian in entertainment or whatever? My answer would be 20% of it is content, in my opinion. Like in my experience, maybe 20% of the time I work on something that personally means something very important to me. And I feel lucky that that's the percentage. Some people it's zero, right? But I feel, especially as a producer, 80% of what it means to bring my faith to the table is how I conduct myself That's right. on a show. That's right. I, paying people on time, making sure people are safe, That's right. treating background actors like they're real people. Um, one of my friends, Matt Webb, who's a, a for, also a former Act One staff guy, uh, has he, something uh, called- up in up in Huntington, right? He's the- Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, he's had something for a long time called the uh, Kinema Commonwealth, I think it's what it's called the kinema rules, and for, uh, I'll try to find it, I can send it to you. And this is all pre-pandemic. It was just, what are things that we can do differently on set that might be a little more Christian than perhaps how the business is built? And um, so some of those, and some, some of them I'm like not so sure about, they're a little radical. I'm like, that's not practical, come on, man. But you know, uh, one thing he does that I 
do agree with is everyone on set is called talent, right? Hollywood likes to call actors, they're the talent and don't talk to the talent and talent's coming and talent's flying in, that kind of stuff. And on Matt Webb sets, everyone's talent. He calls everybody, everybody talent. I love that. Um, something the LC does I find a little more radical is like he won't block a sidewalk for pedestrians to like he won't stop business ever you know he'll just go and shoot it again as somebody yeah. walks through yeah. because it feels like it interferes with the local community or whatever like the way we treat communities as productions and thinking through that anyway there's some really nice stuff in Matt's kinema but it's kind of thinking theologically about the logistics of production and what we're really saying and doing and treating people. And I think right now is a really appropriate time for the entire business, but also Christians to take a step back and think through how do we do that moving forward? Because, you know, being on set 12 to 14 hours a day out of town for six months at a time, and some people live that way all the time, is really spiritually draining and hurts marriages, hurts relationships, hurts people physically. So that, that does have to be a better way. And I hope, you know, um, like you said, that uh, we as people of faith realize that it's not about escaping our suffering or whatever. The sufferings are always with us. And when right. an event like this happens, it only just highlights sort of the existential place we're always in. There's always people, uh, obviously not to this scale, but there's always people dying around us and hurting and and um, secretly suffering. And uh, at the end of the day, I'd rather uh, focus on uh, the people that are around me and what, I'd rather work on some really lame commercial and for everybody to have stepped away from that and saying, I don't know about that, was, about that show, but it was just different. Um, I'd rather have that than to work on my epic, mission you know the mission style feature and for people to walk away and be what a miserable movie that was what a hack that all those producers were and people got hurt i just i much rather have that i don't think i could have said that 15 years ago yep. when i think i the the material was so important to me at all yep. costs and now the process is so much so much uh, more critical and you know this, you know this, uh, and this is what we talk about at Act One all the time, is that there's such a, the, there is such a, a focus of people coming into the business on the content they're going to create, the content they're going to create. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be, um, you know, the greatest, you know, quote unquote, Christian cinema ever made, all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and you're so true. I would, I might even argue with you probably lower percentage than 20% um, in the sense that, um, we are the product that we're creating, like who, who we are on set, who we are in those, um, you know, in those edit bays, who we are, you know, in those writers rooms and in those um, executives offices, like on set, who we are, that's the product we're producing. And, um, you know, I don't think I realized how much I cared more about, the, I, I think the shift for me in caring more about the people than the product was when I actually started doing more stuff and, and building up friendships with people and living life with people. And now that, you know, my kids play with their kids and I go to, you know, hang out and it's like, we're, you're living life with human beings that have real life struggles and pains and marriage issues and their own dreams that they're, that they're struggling to try to 
um, live out and all that kind of stuff. And you realize, man, so much of what we're trying to do is not, doesn't really match up to kingdom work. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, we, mm. we're, we're so obsessed with, you know, that, that making that next great film that we forget that it's the process of making that film with all these other people, the beauty of filmmaking, this collaborative process where you get to work with all these other amazing artists and, and creators and, and, and just people who are giving so much of their blood, sweat and tears to this project is the joy that we get to have of actually working alongside them, being with them, living life with them. And, and to me, like, you know, I, I look at Jesus's teachings and I think to myself, in many respects, he's trying to make us more human. You know, like we keep trying to aspire to be less human, right? Mm -hmm. to, to, to avoid pain, to avoid, you know, the, the hard road. And really life, life, life includes all these things. And so it's not about the elimination. I, I think this is where I may differ with some of my you know, some of my Buddhist friends, right? <laughs> is, is the gospel of Jesus isn't about the elimination of suffering. Mm -hmm. It's about the contextualization of suffering and understanding it and, and working through it um, and helping other people in the midst of that suffering. I love it. Jesus um, suffers alongside us. Yeah, but I digress. See, <laughs> see you're a, uh, see you, I, it's what I took me 10 minutes to say. You just said it in one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know how much time we have, but I think about it in terms of like tr truth, goodness, and beauty, sort of the three pillars of That's right. That's spiritual right. exploration. And what's, what I love, I mean, I grew up in the evangelical environment. I think this story is a little bit different for uh, Catholics, but you know, in the 1980s, evangelicals didn't really believe movies did anything, you know. Uh, and I think there was this resurgence in the 90s where it was like, wait a second, art matters. Art is powerful. Like, we need to be doing more with that. And I caught that vision. I caught that excitement. And I think that was a really great pivot <laughs> by a lot uh, in, the, in the Christian evangelical world. But I think uh, the flip side of that, arc is a little bit of magical thinking that like if we can make the great movie it'll solve all of our problems all of our pr problems all the way people see us um and i have a few problems with that is you know at the end of the day it's just a movie like maybe all i do is inspire somebody to sit on their couch eat some popcorn drink and you know one too many glasses of wine and pass out before the movie's over like if, if that movie is not supported by like some kind of grounded community on the back end where like someone could talk about that movie or follow up on that, you know, like at the end of the day, you're just, it's just a product in a way, but also it's not one movie. It takes a lot of movies that are good like that to make any kind of change, you know? So um, we need to be making five movies a year like that to make any kind of impact. It can't, yeah. it can't just be one. But. I think what you're, I think you're, what you're arguing for is for all those Christians with the money that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> That's right. To, they invest in a slate. They want to invest in a slate of films, right? Your slate of films, not just your. <laughs> yeah. Can I leave my number at the end of this podcast? <laughs> Can I plug all my projects right now? Send me that Christian money. No. But that's yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we have time for any of this now. But I have found 
Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the people who have, the people who have mentored me or uh, that I've been apprenticed by, or really given me some of my best shots, have not been uh, the people I expected. I expected kind of the rich evangelical people. You know. That's right. Um, That's right. God bless them. I'm not saying anything wrong about that. Other than. I feel like there's a lot of complaining about what's going on in Hollywood without putting money where people's mouths are, you know? Um, but the people who have given me wax, I was surprised by, and with the act one producing students, when I was there, I was always challenging them to be open to who those people might be. Um, one of those people, uh, one of those people for me was Ed Saxon who was Jonathan Demme's producing partner for 20 plus years. Ed produced The Silence of the Lambs, one best, best picture for that. Produced Philadelphia, um, Adaptation, Something Wild, a lot of great movies in the 80s and 90s. And Ed would describe himself as a uh, Jewish pantheist. And um, the first time, I remember the first time I met him was for my internship, internship interview. And it was him and his development exec. And Ed didn't say a word to me the entire time. He just sort of smiled at me and bowed every time I opened my mouth. It was really weird. So his exec uh, was asking me questions. I'm answering the questions. And here he is just kind of smiling and bowing. And he's wearing full tilt African garb, like a, like a female African <laughs> garb thing. And I was like, what a weird guy. And uh, anyway, I got the internship and I only interned one day a week because I didn't have time or money to do more than that because it was unpaid. And I spent all this time, you know, getting him gum at the convenience store and all the internship stuff nobody wants to do. Uh, making photocopies, going to the dry cleaner. And, uh, you know, every day he would come in wearing a different costume. So like another day was like a Civil War outfit with like the sword and the sheath and everything. And, but uh, probably five weeks went by and he didn't actually talk to me. He just smiled and nodded at me for like five or six weeks. I was like, what is going on with this guy? I was sort of intimidated. And then uh, finally, you know, six weeks in around lunchtime, he's like, hey, Justin, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, Justin. He's like, are you like a seminary grad? Did I hear you're a seminary grad? I was like, yes, yes. He's like, oh, so do you do pastoral counseling? I mean, this is the first thing the guy ever said to me. <laughs> and I was like, well, my brother's a therapist. I've taken some classes on therapy. You know, uh, I want to be a filmmaker, but sure, I know a little something about pastoral counseling. And I'm thinking like, this guy, he's yanking me around. Like, that's a Christian catchword, pastoral counseling with, you know. He's like, come into my office at lunch. I want to talk to you. Like, okay. So I go in there at lunch. Uh, and he's like, what if I told you I had a paralyzing fear of death? What kind of Christian advice would you have for me? And I was like, okay, this is strange. So I just sort of laid out. And I was Jimmy Duke in the moment, man. I just went for it. And, and I'm not like a great evangelist. I didn't like necessarily get into this to hand out tracts. I mean, I'm open and people ask me, I'll share, you know. So I just shared my faith with Ed there. And gave him some tips. And he's like, okay, go away. Thank you. Go back to making copies. And then the same thing happened the next week. He's like, come to my office at lunch. And he's like, I'm having this um, 
wow. I'm having this relationship problem. What kind of Christian advice you got for me? And uh, same thing. I kind of just talked to him about that. And I mean, this went on for weeks and I left the internship actually incredibly angry at God because I was like, I learned nothing there. Like I just made photocopies and got this guy his lunch. I should send him a bill for all the therapy, <laughs> free therapy I just gave him. I mean, knowing him really well now, I kind of knew, I knew a little better what was going on. Yeah. But I, for six months, I did not understand that experience. I was like, I just worked for this kind of wacky producer who dressed up every day and then just sort of like quizzed me about my faith every Friday. I learned nothing. And that's not why I'm here. I mean, I'm here to be salt and light, but I didn't know that it would be like that. So several months went by and I'm doing other stuff. And he randomly calls me. He's like, what are you doing right now? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm interning at Sony Animation. I don't know, making eight bucks an hour. He's like, well, I realized something. Um, I like you. I don't think you know anything about the movies or entertainment at all but I'm making this movie with Sam Mendes. Do you know who Sam Mendes is? And I didn't, but I lied and said, yeah, I know who Sam Mendes is. Only one, you know, Academy Award for American Beauty. Didn't know his name. So Ed was right, I knew nothing. He's like, I'm making this movie, my exec just quit. Um, I don't, I, I don't know sure if I trust you, but how about, I'll give you like one month, month shot to be my creative executive. And if you're no good, if you don't know my Rolodex in and out, if you don't know all my scripts, if it doesn't seem like you, know how to do this job, I'll fire you. How does that sound? And I said, great. And I quit. The next day I was working for him and that was a four-year four year run, but it wow. completely came out of relationship. Uh, and he's like, I never have met, even met a Christian before, but I just like talking to you and wow. feel like I should give you a shot. So we, it's, to this day, we still have these types of conversations. You know, I haven't converted Ed over I pray, I've prayed with him a couple of times, I've, you know, um, but, um, he's but you're probably a, but you're my a, best but, friend in his business yeah, and he's, he's someone he's who a, is interested in my spiritual point of view yeah. and interested in the kind of stories I want to tell. And it's the person who has looked at, looked out for me, but on paper, we have nothing in common. And that's okay. And that, like, that's the thing. That's the, that's the magic of friendship. That's the magic of actually connecting with other people is sometimes on paper it doesn't make any sense at all but there was something truthful about you that he didn't get from from other people that you know he enjoyed having those conversations with you he enjoyed being able to ask those questions because like like you said he didn't know nobody else to ask and um that's a what wait what were the costumes for did you ever find it <laughs> oh yeah any... i didn't wrap that up um <laughs> at the time his daughter was like seven and three and he was dropping them off at school dressed up just for fun. And what I realized is that, I mean, he's just a very fun guy. That's uh, awesome. Even to this day, sometimes he'll call me at like 5.30 in the morning. And I don't even work for him anymore. And uh, he'll just sing to me. He'll just call me sometimes and just want to sing for me. <laughs> and uh, probably, one of the most, well, probably one of the most curious, inquisitive, uh, sp spiritually... Uh, searching people i've ever met in my life wow that's awesome and what's the what do you think is do you think that's a that's part of his the secret to his success like would if you be, the time that you've spent with him looking at uh his abilities it, it, 
do you think curiosity his his curiosity is something that is that has really worked to his advantage i think so i mean i i can remember we travel on uh i remember this distinct moment there was a we were shooting Away We Go, which was the Sam Mendes movie. And uh, like across the street was some kind of like art in the park, you know, fart in the park kind of, you know, setup kind of thing. <laughs> and it was like people like we, you know, smithing swords and it was very unique kind of thing happening across the street. And uh, so when we wrapped that day, I was like, hey, come on, let's go across to the carnival and uh, get some cotton candy and look at the look at the belts that are for sale and stuff, you know? <laughs> and he's like, hey, Sam, who's a very proper Englishman, you know, lovely, but kind of a serious guy, you know? Sam, come on, come over with us, you know? And Sam's kind of like, why would I go over to the carnival? That looks terrible, like <laughs> not clean or anything. And Ed's like, come on, yeah, let's go. And like, we're in there, you know, in the photo booth, taking pictures together. He's like trying on the boas. And I think some of his secret is like, he's very kind of salty, like he's not, um, with all of his success, he's still very connected to like normal life and normal things and what means, what means something daily. And he finds joy. I think it's the curiosity and the joy. Like one rule he had when I worked for him was, we're gonna do something fun every day that has nothing to do with work. So like every day we'd make like, this is all before like Vine and, you know, YouTube stars, but every day I would have to like shoot a video for him of him just doing something stupid. Really? You know, or wow, that's, yeah. that's great. I love this guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Is, um, so there's people like that. I mean, there's other people as well. There's been great, wonderful Christian people and yeah, all that, but um, you never know kind of where your, where your mentor is going to come from. That's right. What was it like working with Sam Mendes? You know, I, I kind of have this long standing theory about him and that if i remember correctly spielberg hired him he was a you know he was the he was a, a theater director and um for stage and they they spielberg kind of plucked him out of there to do american beauty mm -hmm. um, for dreamworks and um and, you know and they they put him with conrad hall and so you have this amazing so you get all you know so all the you know if you remember all the performances get nominated and win the Academy Awards because he's, he's, he's able to sit there with those beautiful actors and craft these amazing performances. And Conrad Hall just, you know, shoots the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. And then it just seemed, it just seemed like um, Mendez has this amazing approach of hiring the best technicians around him so that he can do his expertise, which is, you know, working with the actors. And so did you yeah. see any of that? What were some of your thoughts? Well, absolutely. Well, once Sam got attached as the director, it became very easy to cast the movie because actors love working with him. It was just that simple. They all wanted to be in the Sam Mendes uh, business. So definitely for that. Uh, I also remember we had a lot of rehearsals. He rehearsed a little bit more than some other directors. Um, also, he stayed in the video village a lot more than some other directors. He's very, he's very, um, in my experience, sort of very steady, very calm, kind of talks to a few people, and like you're saying, uh, very skilled people around him who do their job. So I think he's good at kind of building the team around him. And he really focuses a lot on the actors. He doesn't get into the minutia of the technical stuff or is walking away complaining about the food or, you know, the, uh, 
every just like producing every director has a different strength and i think at the end of the day he's got that uh ability to bring the best out of actors and he you know ellen curris shot that movie and he just works with great dps and has a great visual taste as well but he's very uh you know the worst thing is a director who doesn't know what he or she wants and sam's not that person he will yeah. always tell you what yeah. exactly precisely what he wants whether and that sometimes can be really hard to pull off right because a lot of what a producer is is getting all the stuff there so the director can do their job and sometimes i you know i described it as like the sam mendy's wake like not i don't think he realized at times how hard he made other people's jobs but it was only because he was being really specific about where we were going and you much i'd much rather have that i'd rather work my tail off to get something i know is going to work and that's you know versus a lot of waffling he's not a waffler uh all at all but there's other directors who you know i did this one web series where we had the same crew but we swapped out the actor and the director midway uh, actors and director midway a little bit like a tv show and uh it was like a you know it's like a chemistry test of like here's the exact same locations of the exact same crew and we're just going to switch the directing and acting team out and see what happens and it was like completely different like one director very strong with like i want to be on this lens i want to have these lights um but they kind of also kind of at times like okay actor lift that kind of the actors were sort of a cog in the wheel of the technology that was going on and the uh, other uh director uh really kind of had a theater background and only really knew how to work with the actors and kind of had to trust the crew members around the dp and the gaffer to pull that off and at that at times frustrated the crew because people would be like where, where am i supposed to put this it's the director decided what the you know actors are having a great time but the crew was, it was right. the other, I mean, with the other director the crew was like yeah we're on this the crew was ready always ready and the <laughs> actors were like uh when do i get to act i feel like i'm just a cog here you know yeah and it's it's to and you don't know you don't know how well you're going to work with different ty people types um until you do you know that's the that's the my big encouragement for people is i'm like just just try you've got to start trying stuff you've got to put yourself out there and 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 learn as much as best you can by doing i i know that i know that that's easier said than done sometimes but um as much as possible put yourself out there work 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 volunteer intern you know just get yourself on sets learning the process and i think you'll be all the better for it would, would you agree with that absolutely i sometimes wish i had taken that advice more um because i get to set and i don't know know what all the equipment's called because i didn't really pa and grip and kind of come up through the production system and at times that i've like lost respect from certain crew people they're like who's this pro producer flying in doesn't know what they're talking about <laughs> whereas some of my partners it's, it's producing partners, that's how they started yeah. And they know what the crew would listen to them, but not to me. I've gotten a little better at that over time. Um, so yeah, all especially. I mean, my theory is in your twenties, all experience is good experience. Like your twenties yeah. is a giant hot mess of trying stuff. You don't That's need right. to know anything. You need to know have it. the only answer you need to to have is what do you want to do right now, and what are your favorite movies. Like if you don't have answers for that, like people won't kind of understand how to engage you but i don't think i mean even 
now that I'm in my 40s, maybe I should throw my 30s in there too. But nobody really needs to have any kind of direction, I don't think, uh, on the entertainment business, what they want to do until they're well into their 30s. Until then, gain experience, try stuff, meet people. Because most people who get opportunities, it's because they're being apprenticed by somebody, like a production designer, right? You start in the art department, and there's just a production designer who keeps hiring you for all their projects. And suddenly, you now are getting hired as an art director apart from that person, and then you get your own production. So producing's like that, too. It's a bit of a apprenticeship uh, type business. And producing covers everything. You know, that's, that's why the Act One program went from executive program to producing an executive program, realizing like as a producer, you need to know a little bit about everything. You don't need to be the expert. Yep. You need to know what you don't know. That's right. And surround yourself with the people who do know. Yep. Have the humility to see it through. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, people are surprised sometimes that, they, that this is the advice you have to give people. But believe it or not, the other one is take the job. Take the job because work begets work begets work in this business mm. and so it's like take the job take the job meet people build relationships be excellent in that you it might not be what you want to do you know 15 years from now but start here now take the job do do it build the relationships because like you said that other person they see how hard you work and they hire you on to the next project and on the next project and mm. pretty soon and pretty soon, the producers are noticing you, the actors are noticing you, the directors are noticing you. Uh, you're getting hired as a personal assistant, and 15 years later, you're producing their feature films. And um, like it, it, relationships are so important in this town, and so many of them start with people just being willing to take the job and do it to the best of their ability. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I remember back to Ed Saxon, probably the hardest thing for me working for him is he'd sometimes get on my case and say, Justin, get into the movie business. You don't know, you don't know enough, you haven't watched enough films. You don't know who this director is. You know, he's a writer. You don't read the trades enough. Like if you really want to do this, you got to live it. You got to live and breathe this stuff. Like, could you go to dinner, you know, with uh, Martin Scorsese and talk film all night and, and have Scorsese go, want to go watch a couple of the movies that you mentioned afterwards, right? Like that's, that kind of become my, like, like you gotta be interested. Like you gotta love it. You gotta love cinema, right? That's, I've had to get pushed a little bit that way. Like just yep. liking Lord of the Rings and Star Wars isn't enough. That's you know? right. Like it's, that's if you right. want to produce, if you want to produce or be a writer, if you want to be on the front end of packaging projects, like just that awareness and, and reading more and all, I've had to, really be challenged to go deeper because uh, I kind of just expected Christian people to hand me money, right? That's, you know, that was my lazy approach. I thought I could just throw myself out there and this would happen. No, you got, you got to work and push. And sometimes I've been pushed in directions. I didn't, wasn't sure I wanted to go Yeah. too. Even, even now, I mean, even last, this doesn't end. Even if you're producing or known as an indie producer or whatever, you will still get pushed into certain areas of producing or, or, marketing distribution you're like i don't know if i want to go here if that's and sometimes you got to and there's wonderful things relationally and uh skill set wise on the other on the other side of it it boggles my mind sometimes that we get applications at act one from people who don't even like film and tv 
and they want to write for film and TV or they want to produce film and TV. And then, you know, as they're describing themselves and stuff, it's like, well, I, I'm not really into, into film or television. I just feel like God's calling me. And I'm thinking, you, okay, one of two things, you know, one, you're probably, my, my guess is you're probably not going to last long. Right. But, but two, if, if for some reason by chance you do last at all, you'll be miserable. <laughs> because, <laughs> God we're, is we're, calling you to suffer here. Because <laughs> <laughs> because you're literally trying to make the stuff that you don't even like, like, it doesn't make any sense right. to me. You, you know, you, you, I, I, I absolutely agree with you that, that you have to be a fan. I'm not saying you have to love everything, but you have to love the art form and you have to embrace the idea of what it means to make good television, what it means to make good film, you know, what that is. Right. Yeah. Sir. What I was saying before, kind of like, you know, evangelicals getting behind the power of cinema. Like, I do believe in the power of cinema. Don't get me. I believe in beauty. I believe in, I believe in all that at the end of the day, that, that cinema can take you to new places and expand your world. And, you know, you can be humble, humbly receiving some, you know, beautiful experience through it or what I, I believe in all that. Uh, so it's sort of this weird balance of like, I believe in the power of cinema. I also believe in the limitations of cinema that at the end of the day, that it's uh, just a movie. But yeah, if you don't, if you don't love it, if you're not like in it, if you're not, people can, people can tell, Yeah, you know, and you, uh, for your own you, sake, for their sake and for your own sake, don't do it. It's, you, and there's too many loads. There's too many times where it's painful. And uh, I've had many times where I'm like, why am I still doing this? this is too hard. I should go do get something consistent. That's just yes. better after my family. And am I, am I being selfish by continuing this? I've had a lot, I have a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, but I just love it too much to stop. I love being a movie viewer and movie experiencer and a movie maker too much to stop, unfortunately. And I think a lot of that comes back to, it's actually a theological point of view that people have about how God works that I have some, issues with like what i believe is like whether i'm in hollywood or not like god's gonna move and do his thing like god's gonna speak god's gonna create waves often through people we don't expect filmmakers we don't expect um and some of our some of our job as movie viewers as critics is to point that stuff out and say hey i spy i see god's working in that one i don't know how it doesn't check the boxes in terms of being you know it's not like the church is endorsing this thing and it's Christian people or what have you, but somehow there's something spiritually moving in that, that is kingdom oriented. I don't know. That's going to happen with or without me. And I just want to join the party. Like I just want to be a part of it and help advance that and, and grow it. And, uh, but I, I've taken a little bit of pressure off myself of like, I don't need to be the vehicle. Like I'm not a fax machine. I'm not here to like fax the Christian message to Hollywood. <laughs> You know what I mean? If I was interested in messaging, that's what I should do is make fax machines and fax people the gospel. Like we're at the end of the day, we're making art and cinema here and there's room for interpretation of the filmmakers. There's room for interpretation for the the viewer. uh, And that's beautiful and kind of messy and wild and weird all at the same time. So that the mystery of it is some of what I'm attracted to. And I think once you, you kind of not that you give that up it's trust me like i i want people to um know who jesus is 
you know, I do. But I, I, knowing that I'm not the only one and that I do it in community and that I don't really, I'm not that powerful <laughs> at the end of the day, um, but knowing that I can contribute to that uh, is releasing in a way that actually helps me to do better. Justin, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, man. I, I think the world of you, you are um, such an amazing human being. Your, um, your kindness and your generosity, um, the way I see you, um, the way you treat people um, is uh, it's so refreshing and you have such a fantastic reputation and uh, you, you have done so much for act one and so, so much for so many people that, um, that I know that I just, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this time. And just thank you for being you, man. Oh, thank you, Jimmy. That's sweet. You're getting me all teary over here, man. <laughs> no, but I'm, uh, I appreciate your leadership and I, I, I love act one. Um, I'll always do whatever I can to help um, act one. It's a place where I've learned a ton. Um, it's a place where I've, I've built a lot of, a lot of friends and, in the last couple of years, I haven't been as directly involved, but Act One's always in my my life. I can't escape it. It's like I don't know all these tentacles of Act One throughout this entire town, man. Um, that's right. But, like that, we're like the mafia. That's so, right. Um, well, if an it, Act One handshake under the table right now. That's right. Uh, well, if it's okay with you, um, we close all of our. I've, I've been uh, closing all of our podcasts with. Um, uh, with praying for our guests. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love that. Okay. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. And thank you so much for the chance to be able to talk to Justin and spend this time with him and, and learn, learn about him and learn from him. And, and uh, God, I just pray right now that you would uh, bless Justin and bless all that uh, he does. I pray, God, that you'd bless his marriage, uh, bless his relationship with his kids, um, with his family and friends. God, I pray that you would um, bless all of his work endeavors, these projects that he has coming up, these projects he has in post-production. And God, I pray you would continue to use Justin as a beacon of uh, truth, goodness, and beauty in this business. I pray, God, that you would give him more and more opportunities to serve others and to love on others and, and to be a, um, a, a representative of you. And, um, and we just thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name and your promises we stand. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Act One Podcast. Celebrating over 20 years as the premier training program for Christians in Hollywood, Act One is a Christian community of entertainment industry professionals who train and equip storytellers to create works of truth, goodness, and beauty. To financially support the mission of Act One or to learn more about our programs, visit us online at actoneprogram.com. Thank you.